You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. He'll always make a way, even when there seems to be no way. Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us. Lord, we thank you for the sweet words of this song, how they speak to our hearts. Lord, a moment ago, even in Sunday school, I could hear that song as Jeffrey was practicing about I am. And I thought about, dear Lord Moses, when he began to make every excuse why the will of God could not be accomplished through him, he began to come up with all those reasons. And then finally he said, Lord, and if I go back to these people there in Egypt, and they ask me your name, what am I to say? And the Bible says in the Hebrew, you said, you say to them, I am has sent you. And Lord, you are the great I am. And so Lord, no matter what we face in life, may we trust you. And now, dear Lord, as we go to your word, may you speak to us, may you make, give us clear direction. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory and honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to remain standing, if you would. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians over in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be beginning at verse 1. We're going to read a little ways down through there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1, we're in a series that we've titled Identities, or Identity. And uh, the reason I might say Identities, because we're looking today at the identity of God, of Christ, and the identity of you and I. I've titled this message, though, in this series, Learning and Living in the Valleys. Learning and Living in the Valleys. And... um, I don't know about you, but you remember when you attend uh, first day of class, you'd go to school, you'd go to class, even at college level, John, you a lot of times would go in and they used to a long time ago, I would, this is back, way back before you guys, this is back in the 70s and when I was in college and they would send a, a, a paper around, you write your name down, you know, and they kind of circulate and then the teacher would, the professor would read off the names and and I was, I was a jokester. I, I kind of cut up a little bit. And I can remember in a college class uh, when that list came around, I wrote the, uh, the name Bosco Hearn. Bosco Hearn. And so when the teacher was reading them off, she said, uh, yes. And she came down to that name. She kind of thought a minute. She said, uh, 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 Bos- Bosco, uh, Bosco, Mis- Mr. Hearn, uh, Bosco Hearn. And I kind of raised my hand. Of course, everybody was laughing that knew me because my name was not Bosco Hearn. But uh, I love to joke around a little bit. And I remember one time, another time, poor old same old professor, I really loved her. Uh, I could make a sound like a cat, like a kitten. And I had a big split between my front teeth before my daughter, the dentist, kind of fixed me up a little bit. And, and I could put my tongue up against that split and I could be looking right at you and sound exactly like a kitten or a small cat. And so I'm sitting there in front of this professor and I'm making the sound of a cat and she stopped and she said, she started looking around, she said, is there a kitten? And then she went over to the windows, she began to look out the windows and 
you know. And of course, once again, the class was laughing and they were getting a big laugh out of it. And uh, lo and behold, I think I got in trouble for that one a little bit. You know, identity is important, who you are, who people think you are. When I was an officer in the military, you, in the military you have a name tag so people are able to recognize who you are. You know, tags, your name, who you are is important. And that's what Paul's talking about today because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in verse 4. I love this. This is the problem church. Everybody look this way. If you have multiple children, you probably have one child that will test you more than the others. And all those patients said, parents said, well, Amen. This was Paul's problem child. This was the child. You know, when you're talking to parents, it's always funny because parents will talk about one child more than they will the other. It's not necessarily because they're the favorite. It's because they demand a lot more attention in time. And so when you look at Galatians, Thessalonians, you look at uh, Philippians, you look at Colossians, you look at all these letters Paul wrote to the churches, then you come to these two big letters that is written by this problem child, problem church of Paul. And yet in verse 4, look what Paul says. He says, I always thank God. This is the parent who has the problem child that says the child's name and just goes, bless their hearts. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await or wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, our God who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is faithful. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank You. We love You. We give You all the glory. Lord, help me. Cleanse me. Let me be a tool in Your hand. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You know, when you're, when you're starting a book of the Bible, you always talk about background. And you may say, well, you know, why is background? Why do we spend time? It seems like I'm in a seminary class. It seems like I'm in some kind of college, university class, uh, Bible survey class. But why would the preacher spend a lot of time on background? Everybody listen closely. The Bible's credibility... The Bible's credibility is based on this, that when you see a geographical location, you can see it on the map today. You can see those uh, archaeological ruins today. In other words, I wrote this down. Why is this important? Because the biography, as well as the historical setting 
of all these books of the Bible give credibility to the Bible, to the New Testament, and more so to the life of Jesus Christ. Now this city, Corinth, which you can still see the ruins today, is 50, it's 56 miles west of Athens. It is a, it's an interesting city because it's located kind of in the middle of Greece. It's on a little isthmus of about four miles wide. In fact, it, today if you go there, there's a canal cut through that area right there where Corinth sits. The canal was actually dreamed up in the head of, of, of Caesar, one of the emperors of Rome. It was started by Nero, and it was finished in 1883. Anyway, you have this canal, and what the people would do, what they would do in those days when they were traveling from east to west, when they were going from Rome to anywhere in the east, what they would do is when they came to this isthmus, they would actually take the ship. We may have to let that baby uh, have a freedom, a little more freedom maybe somewhere. But anyway, they would take the ship, they would put the ship on rollers, and they would roll it across this four-mile isthmus from one side to the other. And the reason they did that, because if you went around Greece you literally, sailors would sign their wills. They would make out their will before they would make that journey. So it was easier to take a ship, Russell, and to take it across that four-mile little isthmus, which eventually would be cut and made into a canal, and they would go through the city of Corinth. Now, because Corinth had so much commerce and so many people traveling through, it was the kind of city that before long became kind of a cesspool of sin. In fact, it was the Las Vegas of the New Testament. In fact, if you wanted to insult somebody, what you would do is you would call them a Corinthian, which meant that they were sexually promiscuous and they were very immoral. And yet we find here that in this time that God plants a church in Corinth. Alex Haley, Henry Haley said this. He said, in Roman times, Corinth was a city of wealth, luxury, and immorality. It had a growing population. It reached more than 300,000 free citizens. It had 460,000 slaves in the second century. It had more than a thousand temple prostitutes. And it was like, listen to this, Corinth was like a massive brothel. Haley went on to say that to say that you lived like a Corinthian meant that you lived a life of sexual immorality and drunkenness. Their church, their temple, was in honor of a goddess by the name of Aphrodite. You ever heard that name before? They had over a thousand temple prostitutes, and if you wanted to worship Aphrodite, you went, you got a temple prostitute, and you had sex with her, or with him, and that's how you worshiped. And that was the environment of this day. It was not only here that the Olympic, uh, there were two games, the Isthmian Games and the Olympic Games. And so this was a city that hosted games second only to the Olympics. When Paul gets to Corinth, he stays there a year and a half. 
And while he is there, he writes the book of Romans. One of the greatest theological works in the New Testament, the book of Romans, is written while Paul is in this city. And that hit me. In fact, I wrote this down. I said, God plants in difficult places. Is where you work difficult? My friend, don't look at children moving around. Look this way. Pay attention. Is where you work, where you live, where you go to school, is where you are right now. Is it difficult for you to maintain your Christian witness? Do you sometimes think, God, why did you put me here? God, I don't like it here. And God says, I put you there because it's very dark there, because there's no witness there, and I have you there for a divine purpose, a divine reason. Let me tell you, God plants us sometimes in difficult places, and God plants churches in difficult places. You know, today, the problem in most of our major cities today is that most denominations leave our cities. Why? And do you know why? Because they say it's too difficult to maintain a church there. That goes contrary to everything we see in the Bible. You may say, well, I don't like where I work. And God says, I know that, but I've got you there for a reason. Well, I don't like who I'm married to. God says, I know that, but you're going to win them to Christ. I don't even like my kids. God says, I know that. But I don't care for you some days either, but you're going you're gonna to lead them in the right way. Elizabeth Elliot, let me, let me, Jim Elliot, five missionaries were killed in Ecuador. They were murdered. They were, they were hacked to death with machetes in trying, to reach, in trying to reach a tribe in Ecuador. Jim Elliot, one of the key figures, Nate Saint, who was the pilot, they flew into this beach in this primitive area among people who had never heard the gospel before. They went into these areas. These men made this commitment. Their wives told them to take the guns. Jim Elliot, Nate Saint, and these five men went, landed on that island in a very primitive place. The murder rate, listen to this, the murder rate in this culture was over 80%. Over 80% of the people were murdered. They hacked each other up with machetes. These five men land on that, they land. For a while they'd fly over and they'd drop gifts by and they, they eventually figured out a way they could, they could hang a basket on the end of a rope and they would circle that plane around until that basket would hang down and they would leave a gift there and eventually that tribe began to put gifts in there. One day these five men landed that plane on that beach and began to establish a church in one of the most dangerous geographical areas in all the world. Their, their wives said, please take your guns. They took their guns, but these five men made this commitment. They said, the people in this village have never heard Christ. They are not Christians. We will not defend ourselves by shooting them. They chose not to use those guns those wives did not hear from them, did not hear from them. They finally sent a missionary aviation fellowship, math. They sent another pilot in. He was able to identify the plane. The plane had been hacked up with machetes, and eventually they went in, and all five of those men were floating in the river dead. You think your place is tough to serve? Jim Elliott was murdered, hacked to death. 
He had a wife named Elizabeth Elliot and a little girl, a little blonde-headed girl by this little bitty thing, a couple years old. Elizabeth Elliot, rather than going home, she and another missionary returned. And you know what she said? Elizabeth Elliot said this. She said, if I go in alone with my little girl and, and they had and another woman, another, another missionary, we will go in, they will not kill us. Can you imagine that? Elizabeth Elliot with her little blonde-headed girl and another one, they go in, they begin to plant their lives among these people, and eventually these people come to Christ, they're saved. A church is started, these people begin to change. Listen to this, the daughter of Jim Elliot, his only child, was baptized in the place in the river at the exact place because she asked that she be baptized in the exact spot where the man with the machete hacked her dad and killed him. And guess who baptized her? The man who held the machete that had killed her dad. The man who held the machete that killed Jim Elliot was converted to Christ, became a leader in the church, and literally baptized Jim Elliot, this martyr, baptized his daughter right there in the very spot where her dad had been killed. Is your place hard? You know, I wrote this principle down. That hard place may be where God uses you to do some of His greatest work. From Corinth, Paul would write Romans. He would write 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Plus, he would write two letters that would... He actually wrote four letters back to the church in Corinth. That's the background I always say the first and second Corinthians is the closest we get to Paul writing his autobiography. I love these books. But secondly, Paul's broken. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul said, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Isn't that something? You know what Paul was saying? Paul said, for me to get to Corinth, for me to get to that hard place, for me to do what God's called me to do, Paul said, let me tell you, it wasn't easy. Let me read it again. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. You mean the apostle Paul? This great man of God? This, this man who wrote a vast portions of our New Testament? You mean he was afraid? Oh, yes. Yes, he was. In fact, the Greek here implies the idea, listen to this, that he had no strength, he was weak, he was frail, physically he was sick, and emotionally he was exhausted. He uses the Greek word phobos, phobia, where Paul said, listen, I was afraid, I was trembling, I literally was about to break down. That's where Paul was at this point. I wrote this down, one writer said, Paul's not in a good place, but God uses him. And you may be there. Paul's not in a good place, but God uses him. And you may be there, not in a good place or in a good way. You may not be in a good place. You may not be in a good way. But it may be that one day you look back and say, God used me in that place in that time more than I've ever been used before. You ever thought that? Some of the most difficult places we find ourselves are where sometimes God uses us the most. Listen to Paul's journey to get to Corinth. And you can go back. The book of Acts tells the entire story. But listen to this. When Paul, his journey to Corinth, 
had not been a pleasant one. Listen to what he says here. Paul says here, I mean, Paul starts off his missionary journey, his trip from Antioch. Antioch was a sending church. He has a sharp disagreement with his best friend Barnabas. Have you been there? Have you been there? Sometimes you're trying to do the will of God, following God's plan, God's purpose, and you find yourself all of a sudden in opposition and, 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 and arguments and disagreements with the people that are closest to you. All of a sudden you find your best friend, your family, other people don't understand why you're doing this, why you're going in this direction. They, it doesn't make a bit of sense to them. But Paul is, has a breakdown, a disagreement with Barnabas. He takes Silas, he goes to Syria. He is there to confirm the work. From there he goes to Galatia. Does this sound familiar? Galatians. He goes to Galatia to confirm the saints that are there. He heads west, guided by the Holy Spirit. From Troas, he comes to the city of Philippi. He gets in trouble in Philippi because he has a girl who's just absolutely driving him insane. She's possessed by an evil spirit, by an evil presence. And Paul basically turns around and tells her to shut it up. He doesn't tell her, he tells the demon. He says, shut it up and come out of her. The demon comes out of this girl. All of a sudden, she's in her right mind. And immediately, the, the, all of a sudden, the people that have gained a, a lot of wealth around her giftedness in supposedly being able to predict the future now get angry and they have Paul and Silas thrown in a prison in Philippi. Do you remember that story in Philippi? Paul's in a difficult place again. What was Paul doing that night while he was in prison chained? to a wall. Paul, what was he doing? You're right. He was singing. He had a worship service. Bible said that he and Silas begin to sing and guess what happens? God comes down. God sends an earthquake. God drops the chains away from Paul and Silas and all the other. The entire prison is set free. God may be trying to set you free to set other people free. Whole prison. And you remember what the jailer was getting ready to do? He was getting ready to cut his throat, getting ready to kill himself. And you know what Paul said? Paul said, stop, don't do that. We're all here. Nobody's gone. You're fine. And guess what happens? The Philippian jailer is, it comes to Christ. His family comes to Christ. And there starts another church. Is your place difficult where you are? Oh, bless your heart. You know, sometimes we're that way. Well, Paul leaves. He leaves Philippi, where he's been, he gets out of jail. He leaves there. He goes to Thessalonica. He finds a group there. He plants a church in Thessalonica, but they literally, they hate him. And they run him out of Thessalonica. He leaves Thessalonica. He goes to another town called Berea. He there finds a group there. He establishes a church there. While he's in Berea planning that church, the people in Thessalonica that hate him chase him down in Berea. He has to leave Berea and then he goes to Athens. He gets to Athens and he's all by himself. And you know what Paul's doing? Paul's walking around in Athens. And this is an, this is an academic center. This is the academia. This is the university town. And Paul's walking around and before long, Paul can't help it, he starts preaching. He starts preaching the gospel. And he gets into these strong arguments as he defends the gospel. And before long, Paul's there. And guess what happens? Paul plants a church there. 
He leaves Athens. Guess where he goes? Corinth. And when he says, when I came to Corinth, I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling. You know what Paul said? By the time I got to Corinth, I was a basket case. I just felt like I couldn't go on. There's a song used to be, the warrior is a child. Never let anybody fool you. I don't care how strong any man or woman is. There are times in their life when they are fighting fear, when they are trembling, when they are broken. Are you afraid right now where you are to stand up and be counted for Christ because of the persecution that may come? And you're even ashamed of that fear? Don't be. Paul said, listen, I came with fear and trembling. I was a basket case by the time I got to Corinth. You know, I wrote this down. Listen to this. Some of our greatest work is in the valleys of life. Listen to that. Some of our greatest work is in the valleys, those dark places. Why? Maybe we are more sensitive to the Holy Spirit when we're in a valley. You know, I was going back reading this. I do a devotion for Southern Electric, uh, a company. And I was looking back at David. Let me ask you a question. Who did David fight that we all remember? What was the giant's name? Goliath. Did he, did he fight him? Uh, how did he fight him? What did he fight him with? Sling and stones. Somebody, he fought him in the valley of Elah. E-L-A-H. He, how many stones did he go to battle against Goliath with? Five. Why? How many did it take to kill Goliath? Everybody do this. One, right? He got four more because guess what we learned later on? Goliath had how many brothers? Yeah, he had a stone for a Goliath and one for all four brothers to take them all out. Boy, that's a warrior, isn't it? Jalen, how old are you? You 17? 17? Okay, uh, David is younger than you and Lord knows he wasn't half your size. Jalen's a big man. I'd hate to get in a fight with him. Hey, no, Derry's bigger. <laughs> and Derry, how old are you? Fifteen. Okay, we're we're getting close to we're getting close to David here, age-wise. But this is David. David's somewhere around you guys' ages. And yet, guess where he finds the stones? Where do you think he finds the stones to defeat his enemy? He finds them in, that's right, he finds them in a stream bed down in the valley where he was meeting Goliath. In other words, when he went into that valley to face his enemy, God gave him, listen to this, everything that he needed to take his enemy on in the valley that he was in. And let me tell you folks, you may be in a valley, you may be in a difficult place, you may, hey, listen, if you're not, chances are you're going to, wonder how much longer he's going to be. See, you're not, in, you're not in it. You're on a hilltop. Kids are doing good, paying the bills. Everything's great. Getting along with my wife, getting along with my husband. You're just flying high. But listen, you, listen to this. You are either coming out of a valley or you're going in one. So listen. God will give you everything that you need in that valley for you to face your enemy. And most of all, your enemy being Satan. So here Paul is in Corinth. 
and yet God gives it. I wrote a principle down here. Sometimes we find what we need to to fight our spiritual enemy and more so to do some of our greatest work when we're in the valleys of life and beyond that we learn lessons in those valleys that will stick with us and mold us into Christ's likeness. In other words, let me tell you, I don't learn anything on the mountains, but boy, I learn a lot in the valleys. I don't learn, listen, much when I'm, when I'm riding a high. But boy, when I'm in a low. Listen, I told Jeffrey this. When I'm hurting and I come in here, those words up on that screen are pounding my forehead. They're hitting me in my head and in my heart. There are songs all of a sudden I listen to the lyrics and boy, the lyrics are just going down in my soul. And I thank God you're saying that to me. Well... Thirdly and lastly, Paul talks about identity. I mean, you look at the background, Paul gives us a background, Paul's broken, but then Paul talks about identity here. Paul has been in Ephesus for three years. Ephesians. Everybody look this way again. The Bible's geographically correct and historically correct. And Luke was a master historian. And even those who argue as to the credibility of the Bible, the credibility and the historicity of Christ, they have to back down because the Bible is correct in every mention of its geography and its history. Not one archaeological find, and archaeology's been going on since about 1870s. It's kind of a young science. There has never been one archaeological find that discounts this, or discredits this book. Not one. So Paul's been in Ephesus. He's been in Ephesus for three years when all of a sudden a delegation from the church at Corinth, they come to Paul and they come with him. They come to him with all kinds of questions because they're just living in a very corrupt culture. I mean, it is hard to live the Christian life, to live a holy life in this kind of sexual promiscuity, this kind of drunkenness. So they come, listen to the questions, all kinds of problems in the church. Problems of division, problems of sexual immorality, problems of lawsuits, problems of legal issues, problems of drunkenness at the Lord's Supper. Anybody got drunk at the Lord's Supper lately? Problems of false teaching as to bodily resurrection, offerings for the poor. They come with all kinds of questions, and Paul in this book and in the next will answer every single one of them. And you know how Paul begins? Ledge made a statement. We were riding along a couple weeks ago. Ledge said, Dad, I liked how you began talking about who we are in Christ before you begin to address the sins and the struggles that are in our life. Well, you know what? That's what Paul does. You know what Paul does? Paul starts off by just simply reminding them of who they are. He says, you're sanctified, you're holy, you're holy in Christ. Positionally already, if you've given, repented of your sin and given your life to Christ, positionally you are already, listen to this, a finished work in Christ holy. It's already done. You're perfect. And you're thinking, man, just take me on to heaven then. Because I may be holy, but I sure don't act like it sometimes. That's the problem. In fact, I wrote this down positionally. You and I, maybe we, we are, if you've repented and received Christ, positionally we are in Christ, but practically we are in culture. We are in Corinth. And the culture of Corinth was seeping into the church. 
and it was causing all kinds of issues. And so you know what Paul does here? And I don't have time. There's one illustration. I would do it, but it just takes too long. Paul said this. He said, what he's saying is, let's settle who you are in Christ. Then we will deal with how you're acting in Corinth. And I love Paul. I wrote this down. Parent, listen closely. Because I'm, parents, I want you to hear this. And I promise you, I'm within five minutes of closing. Five minutes. Give me five minutes. Not even that long. Listen to this principle. Sometimes, listen to this and amen if you agree. Sometimes we need those people in our lives who can see in us what we cannot see in ourselves. Sometimes we need those people in our lives that can see in us what we cannot see in ourselves. And I can tell you this much, that is the key to being a good parent. When you see qualities and giftedness and you see God's plan, His purpose in your child's life that sometimes they can't even see in themselves. Alan and C, you always think about your, your daughters. I, uh, they've got one, their youngest, who Shelby, who's just gotten scholarship to Duke University. Shelby's an unbelievable child, extremely gifted uh, in the arts and writing and poetry. Her poetry now is becoming known all over the country. It was a joy last week to stand there at the door and talk to her, to congratulate her, and she just came alive. Because you know what she says? Do you know what she says? Let me tell you. Do you know how this family came to this church? The first, the first Sunday this family came to this church, I was up here getting ready to preach, and I looked and said, this is not God's will, and I took it and threw it toward the door. And Alan and Celia and their two daughters said, that shook their world. They had never seen that before. Shelby's, Shelby's poetry now is recognized literally around the world, probably. God is using her mightily. Do you know what has shaped her life besides Jesus Christ? Her affiliation and her love for this church, this community, and this city. And do you know the poem that's being recognized as one of, the, one of the best poems written in her age group all over this country? It is written about this city and her love for this city. Is this a difficult place for you to live, to be, to serve? May we have that heart. I think sometimes when I listened to Shelby last week, you know, she had that mask on them big old bright eyes. Her eyes looked like they were just like 50 cent pieces. I meant like a silver dollar. She was just this bright and she was animated as she was talking about hopes and dreams and ambitions of what God can do with her and what she wants to do for the kingdom of God and for hurting broken inner city people. Listen to this. You can go ahead and stand, but listen. Dallas Jenkins, Dallas Jenkins created a series called The Chosen. How many of you have watched The Chosen so far? Many of you watch, you haven't watched The Chosen? Listen, it is life-changing. Dallas Jenkins, listen to this, Dallas Jenkins had come off a major catastrophic failure. He had put together a film, he had put it out there, and it royally flopped. And Dallas Jenkins, let me tell you, this, the episode one has been viewed over 110 million times. 
It is reaching around the world. It is, it is such a fresh, it's a refreshing look at Christ that I just love it. It's called The Chosen. You can pull the app up, get one of these tech guys back here. They'll get you down here at the front and help you pull it up. And you can show it on your TV. You can watch it on your phone. It is life-changing. It is excellent. But Dallas Jenkins said that he had failed, he had flopped. He was so discouraged at 3 a.m. He said at 3 o'clock in the morning he couldn't go to sleep. He was a flop. He was a failure. He had done his best and it had not worked out. At 3 a.m. in the morning he got this Facebook message that said, your job is not to feed the 5,000. Your job is only to provide the loaves and fish. In other words, your job is not to do the supernatural. You're just to be the little boy that says, here, I got, I, got my, I got my fish and my loaves. I don't know what you can do with it, but here it is. You see, that's all of us. That's us. Uh, uh, here I am. I'm not much. A lot of failures, a lot of mess-ups, there's a lot of junk here, God. But here it is. Uh, there's, there's my fish and my loaves. You know what God does with that? When you and I do that, He takes that and multiplies and uses it for His glory, for His honor, for His purpose. Even your failures. Listen to what Dallas Jenkins went on to say. Listen to this. He said, Jesus makes us what we are not. Jesus makes us what we are not. Let me tell you what I am not. I am not holy. I am not forgiven. I'm not deserving of grace. And I am not in any shape, form, or fashion anywhere close to resembling Jesus Christ. But Jesus makes Jeff what he is not. Forgiven? covered by unforgivable love, grace, and mercy, unconditional, I can't send my way out of it, eternally secure in the heavens, already perfect and holy in Christ, conforming me into the image of Christ. Jesus makes us what we are not. And that's what Paul would say to the Corinthians. As Ruth Bell Graham said to Billy Graham, she said she smiled and laughed and they were coming through a section of, it was probably about like Pearl, giant speed trap. But, uh, you know, when they got those progress, work in progress, that's us. You are, don't mess with our wasp there. Okay, here's our wasp. See, because I was afraid I might lose you all. Here. Oh, man, I missed you. Hey, we'll make YouTube. This will be a YouTube sensation here. Okay. Jeffrey, if he comes up, there he is. He's up there. He's on Jeffrey's music now. Where, where's my man? There's my man back there. Last week, he was jumping around. You remember? Did you get him, Jeffrey? Okay. Okay. He's going to land in a minute. He's... Okay. We got to. Winnie. Winnie, take care of that, Walsh.
you get him? Amen. Let's get him. Come down here, Anthony. Come down here. Come down here, Anthony. Isn't it strange, the man who kills the wasp? Anthony. And Anthony is just an unbelievable picture of God's grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, and His love. And there was a time, a long time back, where you came down this aisle, when life had kind of kicked him around. He came down this aisle, he said, Brother Jeff, my only grandchild died last night. He said, I need to be there for my daughter. And he says, I'm coming because I need to recommit, rededicate my life to the Lord. And we've watched God do uh, unbelievable work in this guy. So it doesn't surprise me. Like last week, our wasp landed on our sleeper. This week, you kill him. So, yeah, I, I love you. Do what? I he is in pest control for all your pest control needs. <laughs> he is. I, I just thought about that. He really is. He's in pest control. Wow, this is what you do for a living. We should have, we should have turned that wasp over to you a long time ago. Hey, let me tell you something. Everybody look this way and then we'll pray. If you get saved today, it'll be a miracle. Look this way. You know what you and I are in? We are in the pest control business. Because we have an enemy, and that enemy is Satan. And Satan loves to kill, steal, and destroy. And the only thing that stands in his way is godly men and women filled with, his Holy, with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's it. We're in the pest control business. I pray you know him. If you don't, give your life to him today. I'll be here at the front. I'm going to pray. I'll be here. Ledge will be here. Russell will be here. Sheila's here close to the front. Need somebody to pray with you? You want to give your life to Christ? Do it today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we love you. We give you all the glory. Lord, it's been, a, it's been an enjoyable service, very different. Lord, we love you. And we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You sang this hymn of invitation, you come. May never be a moment like this moment.